0: So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Welcome back to the chart-topping Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast. Firstly, I'd like to thank today's sponsor, The Collagen Co., as with their generosity, you're able to listen to this podcast for free. The Collagen Co. has products that are free from dairy, gluten, and GMOs and contain no artificial sweeteners, Or flavours, and of course, they taste amazing. To check out the range of premium collagen products, please see their website, which is thecollagen.co. I'm excited you're here today for an incredible episode with our special guest, Dr. Marissa Alert, who is a licensed clinical psychologist and speaker. She's passionate about helping people improve their health habits, lose weight, manage stress, and overcome barriers to live a life that's in line with their values. Dr. Alert is an associate director and clinical product expert at John Hopkins Healthcare Solutions, and she spends her time developing digital programs to help individuals better manage chronic medical conditions, including diabetes and obesity. Whether it's delivering corporate wellness webinars or leading in-person sessions, she loves connecting with people to help them move from where they are to where they want to be. It's a real treat to have Dr. Alert on the podcast today and we begin by discussing why change is so hard and why so many people can't stick to their healthy behaviours despite the best of intentions. We talk about facing the same problems over and over and how to break out of these patterns and we also discuss more about self-sabotage. Next, we discuss how to get comfortable with discomfort, how to sit with our feelings rather than eat them, and how else we can manage emotional eating. We then talk about difficult emotions such as grief and loss, and Dr. Alert gives us some wonderful and practical tips to deal with these difficult emotions. Finally... We end the podcast talking about the changes a lot of people have experienced due to the worldwide COVID-19 pandemic, and we focus on some positive things that are within our control to end the podcast on a lovely positive note. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, and here's today's fabulous guest, Dr. Marissa Alert. Welcome, Dr. Alert, to the podcast. We are so excited to have you on today. Hey, I'm really
1: excited to be here. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Lovely. And I'd love you to start by telling your listeners a little bit more about yourself,
0: why you chose the field of psychology and the different things that you might do on a day-to-day basis.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I am a clinical health psychologist. And what that means is that I work with people to help them deal with the psychological and the emotional aspects of living with a chronic medical condition. And it also involves you know, helping people to understand what are some of the barriers that get in their way on their path to making healthy lifestyle changes, and also helping them to come up with effective plans to cope with stress, to cope with new diagnoses, and a host of other things. And one of the things that really drew me to this field of psychology, and you've probably heard this a ton of times before, is that I was really driven to understand like why people do the things they do, mm. and to also figure out what's the best way to support them in making meaningful changes. So for instance, you know, if I'm working with someone who knows they need to take their medications every day, but they rarely take it as prescribed, you know, what's getting in the way there and how do we work together to address those barriers? Or for instance, someone who's trying to lose weight and, you know, they reach a certain point and then they regain that weight, you know, what's the best approach to help them to reach those goals? And again, how can we best work together to achieve that? Mm. So those are just a couple things that, uh, that, uh, that I really enjoy about the field. Yeah. Such a, um, just such a rewarding field to work in, isn't it? It really is. And in terms of what I do on a daily basis, so I'm fortunate in that every day, well, every workday, I get to bring my experience as a health psychologist to help develop digital programs that focus on diabetes management and helping people to cope with mental illness and also lose weight. And so, one of the things that I'm really driven by is making sure that all the research, all the knowledge, and the evidence that we have about behavior change isn't just stuck in, you know, academic or medical institutions, but it's out there for people who can really benefit from
0: them. I love that. And there's such a big gap, I feel, between there's so much great new upcoming research, but trying to translate that into, um, you know, easier to understand messages for the general public. That's a big step at that. there's, there's It's missing, isn't it? It's a big leap yes. that's missing. There's so many great academics, but they're not really able to translate that into messages for the general public. So what you're doing is is incredible. Well done.
1: <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And that's, and that's Exactly what it is. It's No one's going to go on Google Scholar and find out, you know, <laughs> let me find, you know, there's, um, there's a ton of psychology journals. They're not going to go and plow through those. A lot mm-hmm. of them you have to pay for mm-hmm. and figure out, you know, what's the latest and greatest. And so I think it's really important for us as health professionals to always think about what's the best way that we can disseminate this information, and not just throwing it out there, but like you said, doing it in a way that's going to be accessible to people.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've seen some um, wonderful health professionals that I follow online on Instagram. They're like, "I'll put this study here. I'll link it," and then I've got up and swiped up and read the study, and I'm like, "Whoa, this is this is quite high level." Like, even I have to sort of not multitask and really focus and be like, "Okay, there's a lot of big words in here," (laughs) and just understanding that it's great to have these some of these studies really accessible and people now understand like what is PubMed you know like it's becoming more of a familiar term to us but it's just being able to translate that yeah. and even just look at the the quality of the studies as well which is so important isn't it just because there's yes. a study with one message
1: in it doesn't mean that that's now evidence based practice exactly and that's a really <laughs> awesome point even now my inbox is still flooded from these journals quote unquote yeah. that aren't actually journals like people pay to put their stuff in there and anyone can essentially do a study. Yes. It's not necessarily or always peer reviewed, which is a process that makes sure that, you know, this study meets criteria and it's rigorously done. Mm-hmm. And so anyone can put stuff out there and people read and they're like, OK, this is true. But like you said, it doesn't just take one study to make something evidence based. It requires a lot more, you know, research behind it. Wonderful!
0: Oh, I'm so glad we're on the same page. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. And the first thing that I wanted to talk about, being the the quote type of person that I am, I'm a very visual person. I've got quotes stuck all around my house, on my fridge as a screen paper, on you know, on my um, my phone as the screensaver. And I read a quote on your Instagram, and it was so powerful. And I remember thinking, I have to ask Doctor Alert about that. It has to be my first question for you. <laughs> and what it said was, um, I just found it so powerful. It said, sometimes the Place that you're used to being in is not the place that you belong. Mm-hmm. And this was so powerful. And I remember just thinking of my clients, so many of them struggle to change and they know what they want to do. They know the behaviors that they need to do day to day, but they can't seem to get there. So why is change so hard? Is my first deep question for you, Dr. Alert? <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: a big question. <laughs> really great question though. And I think it's something that a lot of people struggle with, like you said, they know what they need to do, mm. but getting there is the really hard part. And one, of, let me just say too, that I love a good quote. I Have quotes all over the place, so I'm glad we're on the same page there. But I think when we think about change and why it's hard, it's important to take a step back and realize that change is not just about a one-time thing. Mm. It's not as if like, hey, I'm going to exercise today and I'm good for the rest of my life. Uh, nope, yeah. it doesn't work like <laughs> that at all, <laughs> right? <laughs> Exactly. It's more than that. So it's not just making that change, but continuing to do those behaviors that's going to allow that person to maintain those goals that they achieved. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think that's an important thing that people forget. It's not just, okay, I, I can do this, but how do I maintain this? Yes. And the second thing about why change is so hard is that people often face a number of barriers at one time or another that make it hard for them to change. And those barriers can come in the form of things related to that person or things related to their environment. And if we think about the person, it can be, are they dealing with a mental health condition? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Are they depressed? And is that why it's so hard for them to mobilize? Or is it that there's a gap between what they know and what they need to do? Mm -hmm. For instance, I've worked with patients and they're like, Yeah, Dr. Alert, I know I need to eat healthy, but I can barely fry egg. Like, what am I supposed to be cooking, Mm. right? And so there's this disconnect there in terms of the skills skills required for them to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And so when we think, too, about, like, environmental barriers, are you in a location or position where you have all the resources that you need? And so someone could tick off the boxes. They can tell you all the evidence-based stuff. They know exactly what they need to do, the steps they need to take. But they're missing the resources to actually bring about that change. Another thing, too, um, that people often face is that if we think about just the day-to-day life that they're living, there are so many things that come up. I remember working with someone who commuted to work, and this is pre-COVID, mm-hmm. commuted to work, and it took her two hours to get there and two hours to get home. <gasps> when she got home, she had to help the kids with the homework, sometimes cook dinner, too. And by the end of that, it's like nine, 10 o'clock, and she's like, You want me to do what? I'm exhausted. Yeah. And so just imagine all these things coming together, you know, your responsibilities, not having the skills or things that you need. Or if you're surrounded by high fat or, you know, a lot of junk food, it's easy for you to reach through those. So it takes a lot more effort. For you to initiate and maintain change,
2: mm,
1: I love
0: that. I love how you took such a simple, simple question in my terms, and and it brought about it all the complex things that people deal with. And I'm sure that a lot of people sit at home almost just beating themselves up, being like, "This is so easy. Why can't I do it? Why can everybody else do it?" You know, yeah. rather than thinking about this is such a complex area, and for so many people, they've been dealing for it with it
1: for such a long time. In a lot of cases, absolutely, absolutely, and I don't think people always appreciate how much effort it takes. It's not just simply knowing mm-hmm. what you need to do or what you have to do, but how do you make that change? What do you actually need to do? So if we think about the tiny steps in between, you know, going, deciding and then actually going out to take a walk, you need to remember that you need to take a walk, mm-hmm. you need to make sure that you have the shoes that you need to take a walk. You need to make sure that the weather is conducive to you walking. You need to actually make sure that where you're going to walk, there's sidewalks, or you can actually walk in that area. And then you need to plan, what time am I going there? How long am I going to spend? Do I have to worry about my knees acting up? And so there's so much that go into it. It's not just simply I step outside, Mm -hmm. right? For some people, it's that easy, but for others, there's so many factors. If I want to go for a walk and I have kids, do I bring them with me? And if I do, like, am I going to be able to walk as much as I want to? Are we going to have to turn around? I mean, it's so complicated and people often forget that. Yeah. And I, I think also, like, I'm
0: just so grateful that I can sort of go out of my house most days because I work from home and I'm like, oh, it's raining in the morning. I'll go for a walk in the afternoon. And sometimes I sort of forget how, how lucky I am to be able to have that opportunity. Whereas for some people, I might say to one of my clients, like, just go for a walk after work. And it's like, it's not safe to walk in my neighborhood after work. Like, that's just not an option for me. So yeah. I think as well, even as health professionals, sometimes all the glitz and glamour that you see online it's easy enough to be like to people just go for a walk or just eat healthy. But we mm-hmm. often forget what a lot of other people are going through. And it's not so much that it's an excuse, like are legitimate barriers that come up for a lot of people, yeah. aren't,
1: aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a thing I think too, as just health professionals is recognizing the entire person and how they present to you mm. when you're sitting in a room with them one-on-one. It's not just, hey, this is, you know, you need to start eating healthy. You need to be more active. You need to get more sleep. But understanding not just for the person, but for our own, you know, purposes, what these barriers are, how they manifest themselves and in what situations they come up.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so if we're talking about it Tuesday, things look great. But if we think about Wednesday, that's when all hell breaks loose and everything becomes really difficult because you spend longer at work, the kids have practice, you have to do this and that, your spouse is working later, so you have more response. I mean, there's so much that comes into play. And oftentimes when clients feel as if you don't fully understand their story, what's making it so hard, and then we start making recommendations, that can be really Mm off-putting. And so I think coming from a place of understanding, like help me understand why this is so hard for you. And again, it's not about excuses, but the reality of the situation. Mm, And I love that. And that would actually be such a wonderful exercise
0: for people at home to do as well, because I quite often get the the question from people and they say to me, you know, they might say into my DMs or send me an email and they say, Leanne, I've been dealing with the same problem or the same issue. And maybe let's just take a common issue that a lot of people sort of struggle with is weight loss and actually Mm -hmm. being able to maintain that. And they say, I've been trying to lose weight for the last 10 years. I cannot break out of my patterns. I know what I need to do, but I just can't get there. I just have the same problem that pop up again and again and again. So why is this? Why do we seem to get stuck in this, I guess, like s- same pattern of behavior, even though we we know intuitively it's not serving us, mm-hmm. but we just can't seem to get ourselves out of it? Yeah. Another fantastic
1: question. Um, and one that I also, you know, got a lot when patients presented. And so I also worked in a weight loss clinic where I mm-hmm. did evaluations for patients who wanted to have weight loss surgery. And they're, you know, hearing that story over and over again is that I've been dealing with this for years. For as long as I can remember, I've been trying to lose weight. Mm. And it's always the same things that pop up, or no matter how successful I get, I see the same things over and over. And in this situation, what I have to remind people of is that the behaviors that contributed to your weight gain are often things that you've been doing for a really long time. Mm. If we think about the habits that Can contribute to weight gain or just an unhealthy lifestyle. Let's say you've been doing that for the past 20 years. And then you're like, all right, I need to make a change. And then you go about it. And again, at the back of your mind, there's this expectation that this is going to be quick. It should be quick. Mm. Other people have been successful and it only took them like two or three weeks. But the research suggests that if we're trying to adopt new habits, it can take anywhere from 18 to 254 days for something to become automatic,
2: yeah, wow. meaning
1: that we just do it without thinking.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I, again, I really don't think people appreciate how difficult it is to change. Now, another reason that can present itself is that people are often going about making changes in a way that's not in line with their values or who they really are. Mm. I'm gonna confess, even though I ran track in high school, I don't like running long distances. <laughs> Past 400 meters, I'm like, that's enough. I'm awesome. <laughs> And so if I'm going to think about what's the best way for me to be active, and I keep trying yoga or Pilates or running because that's what I see other people doing that have led to their success in maintaining their weight loss. So I'm going to keep doing that. So Mm -hmm. every time you restart this journey to lose weight, you're going back and trying things that you don't even like doing. Mm -hmm. And so you're trying to force yourself to do something you don't enjoy. And chances are you're going to fall off track. In comes that negative self-talk. Oh, here we go again. You suck. Why can't you do this? It's not that hard. Here we go again. How long have you been dealing with this, right? And so just that disconnect between what you really enjoy, what's valuable to you, Mm -hmm. and how you go about that weight loss is another thing. Yes. I think also, too, that people often make drastic changes, right? Hear from your doctor, like, you know, Mr. Smith, Mrs. Smith. You know we've had this discussion before. You need to lose X amount of weight, and you're like, "All right, I got to do it. I'm just gonna stop eating sweets. I'm gonna stop eating chips. This is it. Out it goes." Whereas it's like you've been eating this every day, and again, there's this expectation that right away you can just cut it off, mm. forgetting that there are often cues in the environment that trigger our behavior. So what I mean by that is that if you always sit by the TV and eat your food, every time you see that TV, your brain's like, hey, time to eat. (laughs) (laughs) And so we try to make these changes, ignoring the fact that there are cues in our environment that trigger us to eat, Mm. not eat. Be active or not be active. And those often aren't taken into consideration.
0: And not just environmental cues, even um, like emotional cues as well, isn't it? Like the minute we've had a bad day or the minute we're stressed, you know, a lot of people are like, Where's the chocolate? Where's the Mm -hmm. wine? Where did I put that wine bottle? Like it's sort of, it's not even just like environmental cues. Like if you can overcome some of those things, it's also some of those like um, emotions that a lot of people are triggered by as well, isn't it? Exactly,
1: exactly. And I think that's a really excellent point is that these cues and triggers don't have to be something physical and that we can see them they can also be emotional mm-hmm. right it can be things within us it can be other people <laughs> you know if you work with someone who's really stresses you out and like you said you can grab you know a chocolate bar some candy just to get through that meeting with them and keep your cool then seeing that person can be a trigger
2: mm-hmm.
1: for you to want to eat unhealthily and oftentimes people don't recognize or are aware of the things that trigger their unhealthy patterns. Mm. And so they go about making changes without addressing those triggers, either removing them, thinking about how to effectively deal with them. Because in some cases you can't get rid of it. Mm -hmm. You can like, I'm going to throw away the TV and your family's like, whoa, (laughs) pump your brakes. We need to watch that. (laughs) That's not the right way to go about it. So the question then becomes, well, how do I deal with this? Yeah, right. Could you rearrange your furniture? That can be helpful. But also thinking about that. But I think Just when people are dealing with this question of why am I here again? Why am I dealing with this again? It's really important to take a step back and ask, you know, what really is the problem? Mm -hmm. And try to be as clear as possible about that. Because a poorly defined problem is going to lead to poor solutions, right? There's going to be a mismatch between what you're trying to achieve and what you're doing to achieve it. Mm -hmm. And also think about, you know, if you're focusing too often on things that can't change. Versus things that you do and can exercise some control over.
0: I love that. And like, when you think about the things that aren't working, a lot of people will go, well, you know, I've tried it and I did it again and I did it again and I did it again. And I'm also like, were you just doing the same thing over and over and over, but masking it in a different color? Like, were you just trying a new diet every January the 1st, you know, were you just trying a different type of exercise that you still didn't enjoy Every, you know, every Monday morning when they're restarting over on Monday. So really, as you <laughs> said, taking a step back and rather than just wrapping it in a different you know, shiny coating, it's still the same thing that you're trying to do, which has led you to fail every single time. So it's sort of taking that step back and going, what is the actual problem here? Or why do I, why do I struggle with this same exact problem
1: over and over and over again? So I really like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also I think people don't often account for what can go wrong when they envision themselves, you know, all right, it's Monday, new week, new me, right? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to address this problem. I'm going to really focus in this time on being healthier, on eating healthier so I can lose this weight. Mm. And in their minds, they envision everything going perfectly. And really do people stop and think about, okay, every Tuesday I have this obnoxious meeting. It stresses me out. How am I going to deal with that? Because I know that's a given. Mm. Or, you know, my partner is going to be getting on my nerves by the time it's Thursday. How do I deal with that? Mm -hmm. Or things aren't going wrong in general. But we really take time to account for what can throw us off track. And really carefully plan about how to address it. Mm, I love that. And I guess that brings me to my next question for you,
0: which would be really around self sabotage. Because so mm. many people go, you know, I lost five kilos and I was doing so great. And then I decided to celebrate and, you know, I took it a bit too far and I put it all back on again. Or, you know, I, I was exercising really well and then I got to the weekend and I was just really tired and I was like, oh, I just, I don't feel like doing it. And then it got to Monday and I still didn't feel like it. Then a whole week went by and now I'm back at square one again. Mm-hmm. So, Again, why do we struggle with self-sabotage? And even further, why do we ruin a good thing even though we know that? We feel better when we exercise, we feel better when we eat healthy. Often those little self-sabotaging thoughts creep back in. They go, "Nah, yeah, you don't need to do that. Yeah. You're doing so great. You deserve a treat, girl." <laughs> Just those sort of things. Why do we why do we why is self-sabotage so difficult even though we know what we want to do and we know it, it leads us down the path that we almost should be going down or we want to be going
1: down. Yes. There's so many levels to this. (laughs) Um, Well, for one, you know, just to point out like self-sabotaging includes behaviors such as procrastinating, emotional eating, perfectionism. And the interesting thing is that when you really ask people about their self-sabotaging behaviors, not everyone has insight into the fact that that's what they're doing.
2: Yeah.
1: Right? It's not as if, like, well, I know in the moment I'm going to be ruined and everything. Not just some people do have that thought, mm-hmm. right? And they still go ahead with it. I'll get to that in a little bit. But there are also these occasions where people aren't really aware of it, and sometimes it's because the consequences aren't always immediate. Mm-hmm. So even if I do slip up and I eat half the cake because it was, you know, a celebration. It was my birthday. I'm not going to go back to square one in that. I'm not going to immediately gain back in that moment, the 10 pounds that I lost. Mm -hmm. That's going to take some time. It's the self-talk that happens after that. Like, oh man, I messed up. Here we go again. Mm -hmm. This was supposed to be a different week, Marissa. What's going on? What's the point? And then we fall right back into our own cycle. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned something about these thoughts that we have. Mm -hmm. And they're incredibly powerful. And if we're not able to recognize that one, a thought is just a thought and to just notice that, or if we simply believe everything that we say, or we go with it. And that can be, hey, you've done so great. Why not celebrate? You know, do it. Yeah. And you're like, yes, I'm going to do it. You pat myself on the back. I've been working really hard. Like, let's do it. You don't stop for a moment to challenge that thought. You just accept it. You go with it. Mm Mm-hmm. Same as if when people slip up and they're like, oh, crap, here we go again. It's like, well, no, slipping up is normal. As I'm working to change, change is hard. I should be able to be compassionate towards myself. Mm -hmm. But people, that first thought that comes to mind, they go with it. Another reason people often tend to self-sabotage is that they don't have effective coping skills. Mm. They can't effectively cope with stress. They can't effectively cope with difficult emotions. And so even if it's not difficult emotions, with emotions in general, so if I'm celebrating, how do I celebrate?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is it always have, does it always have to be with food? Mm. Or if I'm having a really tough time, do I always turn towards food? Or do I always turn towards drinking? What is it that I do to cope with these stressful situations? And oftentimes what I see is that a client's doing really well And then there's trouble at home or their caregiving responsibilities increase or, you know, something happens that increases their stress levels. Mm. And in that moment, it's what can I immediately do, immediately do to comfort myself? And what do we know works? The things that they've been doing. Before they try changing these behaviors, that's what they revert back to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's really difficult at times.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: And also I find that, and I'm sure you get this question a lot as well, with
0: self-sabotage, sometimes it's not even the person. Often it's somebody, it's it's a loved one. You yes. know, it's I go to my mom-in-law's house and she just constantly feeds me. Or, <laughs> you know, I'm really good and I'm having a great week. And then my partner wants pizza and beer and ice cream tonight. So mm. how do we deal with that self-sabotage from people that love us you know we don't want to offend them we don't want to um, you know say no to them but at the same time we're good here we're yeah. all on track but it's other people that want to derail us how do we how do we deal with self-sabotage
1: from loved ones as well yes one important to recognize it that this is happening and two to remind yourself like these are what my goals are I understand that this is how they express their love this is how they show their care and support but you need to let them know. Mm. And I think oftentimes the way people go about that is that it makes that person who think they're being supportive or helpful, you know, they do it in a way that pushes that person away. And so you need to stop telling me that we need to get pizza. I'm trying to stay on track. Or like you said, we may feel guilty about saying no. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that there are a lot of ways to say no. No, is it? One, nope. <laughs> Simple as that. Yeah. And I think if we explain ourselves, you know, to your in-laws. For me, it's my grandmother. I can walk in the house, and I'm. She's like, "Are you hungry?" Is the first question. And I'm like, no. And then I hear in the kitchen, and she's bringing out this ginormous plate of food, and I'm like, Grandma, I just said I'm not hungry. I ate before I got here, and she'll yeah. put it down in front of me. Yeah, and I'm like. Before, it used to be like, I'm just going to eat this anyway. I mean, it does look really good. I know it's mm. going to taste good. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to offend my poor grandma. Mm-hmm. And so that, in that instance, it becomes a matter of boundaries. Mm. And be able to clearly express, you know what? I really appreciate the time you took to prepare this meal for me. But I've been having a lot of success. I've been doing really well. And it's important for me to stay on track. Maybe I can take the food to go. Maybe we can have it at another time. And then you then create a situation that works best for you that doesn't also sabotage your progress.
0: Welcome to a healthy break brought to you by The Collagen Co. We'll be back to the podcast in just a minute, but first I need to tell you about our generous sponsors, The Collagen Co. If you don't know much about collagen, there's some new and promising research that collagen supplements may assist with joint health, injuries and rehab, and also arthritis management. In small trials, oral collagen has been shown to reduce exercise-related joint pain, and there has also been some research showing promising results with collagen and vitamin C on ACL repair and recovery times. What about collagen for hair, skin, and cellulite, you ask? Well, the evidence is mostly promising for skin elasticity and moisture, but things are really in the beginning stages of research. There are some double-blinded, placebo-controlled studies which indicate that collagen supplementation can improve skin elasticity and moisture and even reduce wrinkles, and I'm really excited to see where some further research takes us in the future. There is also a randomized control trial of 105 women with moderate cellulite, where collagen supplements resulted in a clear improvement in skin appearance. But again, I'm really looking forward to seeing some more research in this area with more participants, but I am a fan of what I'm reading to date. Thanks to our sponsor, The Collagen Co., you can find their premium range of supplements, which are free from dairy, gluten, and GMOs, and contain no artificial sweeteners, colors, or flavors. And of course, they taste amazing. To check out their range of collagen products, please see their website, which is
1: thecollagen.co. Let's get back to our podcast. And then you then create a situation that works best for you that doesn't also sabotage your progress. Mm-hmm. I love just how positive you made that sound
0: as well, rather than grandma, no, no, I told you last time versus like, grandma, thank you so much for that. That was such a beautiful thought. Can I take this to go? Mm-hmm. Like you just reframe that in such a positive way. I love that. And I think often we we get so caught up in, oh my goodness, this is going to derail me that our emotions come flooding out and it mm-hmm. sounds almost negative to the other person when all they're trying to do is love and support us. And that's, almost like their love language, isn't it? And my mom's very much the same. She's a feeder. That's how she shows that she loves yeah. us. She feeds us
2: <laughs> and
0: she has been doing since we were, we were babies. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that just, um, I guess, acknowledging that in a really positive way is so powerful as well. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I think what's also helpful is letting that person know how they can best support you. So instead, you know, Once you let them know, hey, I'm working on this or reaching this goal, you know, grandma, what would be really helpful is that I'm, you know, I've been trying to try new recipes. You know, what do you think about trying to make me this dish or some other healthy version or option Mm. so that it's still giving her an opportunity to feed you? But feed you more so on quote unquote ear terms. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Love
0: it. Or me, I'm such a tea person, and I might go to mum. Like mum's a tea person as well, and I say, no, mum, you know, um, remember I said I ate before I came. Like, can we have a, a nice cup of tea? I noticed you had a new one in the kitchen, and mm-hmm. that changes her train of thought. And she's like, oh, my new tea collection. She'll go make <laughs> me like a green tea and a jasmine, or she'll go make me, you know, some like a fancy cup of tea more so than just a standard. Like we normally will have just like a, a English breakfast with milk or something. She'll go mm-hmm. and make me something from her fancy. New New tea collection and that way she still gets to you know provide for me love me care for me that sort of thing but it's not yeah. her making a, a six course meal for me like <laughs> she, she might normally do which is that wonderful awesome. as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't complain she's actually she's a wonderful cook and me and all my siblings go over we have like a, a Tuesday night routine and we go to mom and dad's for dinner so it's mm-hmm. lovely because they get to see us we get to you know see our siblings and that sort of thing and it's always it's entrees it's mains it's desserts and often oh. I have to be like mom you, like, we don't need this amount of food <laughs> But she still does it anyway. We've always got doggy bags. We always have leftovers. It's mm-hmm. it's amazing. I definitely shouldn't I shouldn't be negative about it. But again, boundaries. And I do let her know she cooks a ton of veggies. And that's the thing. She loves cooking all sorts of food. And when I say to her, Mum, let's um have a ton of veggies and some extra salads and that sort of thing with the dinner, and make it more like a buffet sort of dinner where everybody can pick and choose what they yeah. want. It's not just here; everybody gets exactly the same thing on the plate. She's very much come to understand that, you know, my dad's requirements are different to my younger brother, who was a lot more active and fitter, versus my sister, um, versus myself. So she's very mm-hmm. much she's become very good at putting more of a, a buffet sort of spread together where everybody gets to pick and choose what they want versus just um, sort of giving everybody the one plate of food. So that's really great as well.
1: <laughs> exactly. Right. And that came from just communicating that, right, as opposed to sitting there feeling guilty not wanting to say anything, but you're suffering through it because you're like, oh, I'm going to have to like work harder now because I ate this because I couldn't say no, as opposed to getting comfortable with asking that question and making those requests so that you can stay on track. 100%. Yes, I love that. And you mentioned comfortable, and this is
0: something that you are very passionate about. And the title for this podcast is is Getting Comfortable with Discomfort. And I feel like so many of us run a million miles in the opposite direction when we (laughs) feel even just the slightest bit of discomfort. And I know that you're super passionate about this topic. So can you let our listeners know why this is and why sometimes it's
1: beneficial to be able to just sit with that discomfort? Absolutely. Yeah, here comes a quote. So there's a quote that says, you know, out of difficulty grows miracles. And I wholeheartedly believe that. Mm -hmm. And I also believe that growth and change occur when we push through, you know, the discomfort that comes from dealing with difficult situations. Mm -hmm. When we run away from things that are tough, we often miss out on an opportunity to learn about our strengths, what we're capable of, and also the things that we need to improve. And like you said, Too often, if something's really difficult or it makes us feel uncomfortable or unpleasant, we run away. And you know what? That's completely understandable because no one wakes up and they're like, all right, what can I do to feel really depressed today? (laughs) Let me seek that out. Or (laughs) what can I do that's gonna cause me a significant amount of grief and pain today? Let's see. Hmm." (laughs) Yeah, No one does that, right? And so, but I think just being able to recognize And have this mindset that, you know, when I'm dealing with challenges, it's an opportunity to grow. Mm. How can I learn from this situation? How can this better my ability to do X, Y, or Z? And just having that mindset. And it's not something that's acquired overnight. Again, it takes time. And again, when we're able to do this, we learn so much about ourselves. Mm. For instance, I know some people who do anything they can to not feel down. Right, they avoid trying to feel depressed or sad, even though that's a normal emotion to feel, or they don't want to be angry, so they're always focusing on being polite and fake smiling through things Mm -hmm. because there's this fear that I don't know if I could deal with my anger. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Forgetting that, unless you sit with that emotion, you realize that hey, the more I sit with it, it doesn't feel as bad. I can actually deal with this when we avoid things we reinforce this notion that I can't deal with it and we're never faced with the opportunity to challenge it. And so you can go through your entire life thinking, I can't be angry because I don't know how to deal with it. Well, of course you don't know because you've never given your chance the op- yourself the opportunity mm. to see if you are. I love that. And there are so many spectrums to discomfort. Even I think
0: about something that um, I work with a lot with my ladies and my clients is emotional eating. Mm. And that for a lot of people is discomfort. But again, a lot of people haven't stopped to even recognize that. And I often say to my clients, what's the worst thing that can happen? I know right now, like you've had dinner, you know that you're not actually hungry yet. You're mm-hmm. driven to eat sweets after dinner. You've got this massive craving for chocolate and you're like no matter what I do I can't get rid of it what is the worst thing that could happen if you didn't have it Mm, well you know I've had a bad day I'm stressed the kids are driving me up the wall it's like that's discomfort and if you just sat with that and learned to as you said deal with that or experience that you'll know that it gets less it's not as heightened next time and then the next time you learn to sit with that and I think for a lot of people you know the different levels of discomfort will start with very mild but you know this isn't a simple thing, but when I say it out loud, it sounds like a simple thing, something like emotional eating or something Mm -hmm. like eating the food when you're dealing with a bit of stress or anxiety, just learning to sit with that discomfort can
1: can be the breakthrough that a lot of people are looking for. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned like emotional eating. And just for our listeners, that simply means that people eat to cope with negative emotions, such as stress, anger, even boredom, sadness, or loneliness. Mm -hmm. And People often turn to that because it actually works <laughs> not and let me let me just let me just clarify what I mean by that is that when we turn to these foods that often tend to be high in fat, high in calories, high in sugar, and we eat them, we enjoy it it's satisfying mm. and it actually decreases our stress hormone cortisol, so in that moment, we feel a bit of relief. now the problem comes in in that whatever caused you to want to eat emotionally, that problem is still there.
2: Mm.
1: And oftentimes people recognize like, oh crap, like I shouldn't have done that. This is going to derail me. And in comes this really bad feeling that they have about what they just did. And so, you know, it totally makes sense that people do that. But I think like you said, thinking about like, you know, what's the worst that can happen And learning how to sit with that emotion. And when we say sit with the emotion, it simply means accepting it, not judging it, not telling yourself, I shouldn't be feeling this way. Those emotions are a-okay. They send us so much information and they let us know what's working or what's not working. And when we're unable to sit with and process those emotions, again, we lose out on knowing so much.
2: Mm. Yeah, and
0: again, touching back on the um more emotional eating because I think it's something that so many people struggle with. And I used to think um I think just being female and you know not really even thinking because all I, I only work with female clients. I don't work with males, haven't for many years now. And I think I always sort of say it's a female thing, it's a hormone thing. But I've had so many more males reaching out to me saying, you know, I also I, I really struggle with this emotional eating too. It's not mm-hmm. just a hormone related thing or a female related thing. Like males sort of um also struggle with this. So what are the tips or strategies? might you have for our listeners at home who A lot of people can recognize that they're doing it. Maybe not in the moment, but definitely afterwards where they go, oh, crap, you know, I wasn't actually hungry. I literally just ate dinner mm-hmm. or now I feel so full. I, I almost feel sick because I've overeaten. Yeah. So do you have any other strategies to help people, particularly in the moment where they might realize that and they've had that thought and they go, oh, you know, I, I really don't need this, but I do feel like crap, so I'm going to eat it anyway. Yes. And again, it's one of those self-sabotaging thoughts where consciously they went, mm, maybe I don't need this, but they're going to
1: do it anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, in addition to recognizing, pausing and asking yourself, you know, what am I feeling right now? And it's so important. I can't say this enough of just being able to stop, pause and name that emotion that you're feeling. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I'm anxious. I'm frustrated. I'm hella bored. (laughs) Right? When we name that emotion, it can help us to feel less out of control. It also gives us an opportunity for us to ask ourselves in that moment, you know, why am I feeling this way? What is it? You know, is it because someone said something to me or is it because I told myself I was going to do something and I didn't and now I feel bad? Why do I feel this way? And so in addition to recognizing, labeling, asking yourself, you know, what am I feeling and why do I feel this way? Just to note, you may not always know the answer. It could be a number of things and people are sometimes like, I don't know what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Like they're not in touch with their emotions or what really is happening. Or it could be a culmination of a number of things. So they're kind of lost in terms of why they feel that way. But regardless, the next step would then be to, okay, instead of eating, what else can I do to manage this emotion? Should I go outside and take a walk? Do I need to do something else like call a friend who's going to be non-judgmental and listen? do I need to seek professional help? Cause this is something that I've been dealing with over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I think too, you know, just some other quick tips, keeping a food diary where you track when you eat, what your mood was and what you ate can help people to see patterns and also keeping those foods that you tend to turn to out of sight mm-hmm. or out of your house. Or if it's there, keeping it in very small quantities so that it's, if you do have to eat a bag of chips, it's super small. And then it's finished before you know it. And you're not consuming as many calories as you would if it was a bigger bag. Mm, Yeah. Some great tips
0: there. And I mentioned, of course, with that sort of spectrum of difficult emotions and discomfort, obviously we've got sort of the, the right, the other end where we've got really, really difficult emotions like grief and loss. And for some people, they often will swing between I've just lost a loved one or I'm, I'm so sad I don't know what to do with that or I'm, mm-hmm. I'm even maybe you know clinically depressed, some people swing between I won't eat for days versus I will eat everything in sight and I won't be able to stop eating because I'm just trying to numb that pain. So when we've got these really, really difficult emotions um, and often it is so difficult to sit with that discomfort and I'm sure this is where you know actual professional help really does become so incredibly important, um, what are your tips to sort of try
1: to deal with some of these really, difficult emotions. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can't say that enough. Like, It's very difficult for us to deal with grief or a profound sense of loss. And let me just say that loss isn't just about losing a loved one. Mm -hmm. It can be a loss of a relationship. It can be a loss of a routine. It can be a loss of like, I used to eat all this and now I can't anymore. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes people don't acknowledge those things as losses. And so they struggle to deal with that. But again, you know, while it's difficult, it's not impossible, right? It's not impossible for us to sit with these emotions. And in that particular situation, it's really important when we're dealing with grief, with loss, or these things that we may tend to feel like are unbearable, is to, again, try not to avoid thinking about it, right? You want to make sure that you do think about it. You do acknowledge the pain. You do acknowledge that this is a loss. You can cry. Right. If you feel empty or lonely, like there are a number of responses to loss and to grief. But what you don't want to do is say, I shouldn't be sad. I shouldn't be in pain because that's just going to prolong the grieving process. Mm. Another thing to do is reach out for support. Is there a family member? Is there a friend that you can talk to? Or if not, is there a therapist? Being able to share how you're feeling will actually help you to heal. Right. Talking about that pain is really powerful. And when dealing with loss too, planning ahead. Planning ahead, why, right? There are going to be um, anniversaries. There are going to be special occasions, birthdays, different situations that come up that can remind you of that loved one or that thing that you lost. And so talking to friends and family about coming up with a plan together if necessary, about how to deal with that can make a huge difference. Mm. And I guess there's probably no right or wrong answer,
0: but would you feel like, um, I guess from experience that it's better for people to, I think a lot of people just want to avoid all of these situations. You know, if you're going through a lot of grief or or loss of something or someone, um, you know, you don't want to go somewhere where everybody else is happy. You know, you don't want to go and celebrate something when Mm -hmm. you're feeling so just the complete opposite emotion. So would you recommend that it's important to get out there and socialize and, and do, you know, quote unquote, normal things like you typically would have done in the past? Mm -hmm. Or is it better to sort of sit at home until you've, I guess, worked through some of that grief more? Is there a right or or wrong
1: or a better option in the situation? I mean, that's so hard because there's no right or wrong way to grieve. Yeah, exactly. And there's no time period after you experience a loss that, especially if it's a loss of a loved one, that you should quote unquote, get over it. Mm. And Oftentimes, people, again, these thoughts come in. You know, they probably saw how someone else dealt with that loss and they're like, well, I'm not like this person. This self-comparison comes in, and it's been, you know, two years, and my aunt or cousin got over their loss in like a year. What's wrong with me? Like, Mm -hmm. I should not be feeling this way. Those should statements, or I should not be reacting in this way. And I think it's important to do what works for you. If you don't feel like going out, Because you're like, this is going to suck my soul dry. It's just going to drain the life out of me. Seeing people happy, I'm not ready for that. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, it's okay. And it's okay to let other people know that you're not ready Mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to push through it. And if you are, you're you're like, you know what? What I need more than anything right now is to be around people. Do that. Mm -hmm. Right? Again, there's no right or wrong way. I love that. And even going back to what we were talking about before in terms
0: of boundaries, a lot of people who have experienced a lot of, um, you know, a grief and loss, people will say to them, oh, this will be good for you. Or, you know, you should do this because this will help. Mm -hmm. And again, nobody knows how anybody else is feeling. So trying to establish those clear boundaries, like you said, but in a positive way, like, thank you, um, you know, so-and-so really appreciate that. But right now, this is exactly what I need. Mm -hmm. Um, So I like how you, how you, yeah good way to bring back some of those boundaries that we were talking about very early on Absolutely. And sort of applicable for this situation as well, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Boundaries, <laughs> we can integrate them into every aspect of our life that has to do with dealing with people and dealing with ourselves too.
0: Lovely. And probably it feeds in really nicely into my next question for you. Again, dealing with loved ones, because I think so much of our struggle through life is just the opinions and judgment Of others particularly with our loved ones but say somebody's gone through a very significant life change like they've um, had a divorce they've gone through a big relationship breakdown perhaps they've um, you know come out in terms of their sexuality they may have done a full 180 on their career you know they went from massive corporate job to entrepreneur building schools in Africa or something like that Mm -hmm. just a complete 180 on their career how do we deal with this judgment from other people that go you know you maybe you shouldn't have done that or are you sure you want to do that or is that the best thing to do? You know, often people feel like we should do things a certain way, you know, like we should be on a certain timeline or we should live our life this way. How do we deal with that judgment where we know that, you know, the person loves us, we know Mm -hmm. they're trying to help, but we know deep inside that we're doing the right thing for us or this needs to happen for us. So how do we, again, create those boundaries in a loving and respectful way? To, to sort of say to our loved ones, this is my life and this is what I'm going to do with it. Yes.
1: <laughs> More or less, right? <laughs> In a nice yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, these, are, these can be some very difficult conversations to have,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but they're important conversations to have, right? Again, this is the idea of getting comfortable with that discomfort. Mm-hmm. You know, someone is there and every time they see you, they're like, you know what? You really made that wrong move, switching to that job. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you really should have taken that position, or, "You know what, this guy or this person was the best for you. I really don't know why you got a divorce." Mm-hmm. And every time you see them, you're not saying anything. So I think it's important to have that uncomfortable and that difficult conversation where you sit that person down, and you talk about it. You don't get defensive. You have, use that as an opportunity to acknowledge what their concerns are hey, mom, I understand that you're really worried about if this is the best decision for me. I appreciate how much you care and that you want the best for me. But I've spent the past 12 months planning out and figuring this out. And I realize that this is what's best for me. What would be really helpful is that if I can get your support, because that would mean the world to me. And I understand if it's too much for you to support me, but again, this is why I made that decision. Mm. And so in that situation, a couple of things happen. You acknowledged their perspective and point of view. You acknowledge their reason why they might be bringing that concern to you, right? They care. They may not express it in the best way, but in a lot of instances, it's coming from a place of concern. Mm. And so you acknowledge that. So that person feels heard, but it also gives you an opportunity for you to share your side of the story. And I think to remember is that everybody has an opinion about what you should do with your life. Mm. You ask 10 people, you're gonna get 10 different answers. <laughs> and so it's important for you to be focused and centered on what's meaningful for you and being clear about that. Otherwise, like you hear from other people, you're gonna be seesawing between what you should or shouldn't have done. Mm. I love
0: that. And you almost provide us with just the perfect script that I'm sure some of our listeners at home are going to take and and use that and adapt (laughs) that because I was thinking of all of these different scenarios, again, from what sort of mild discomfort to very, very uncomfortable situations that you could have used that just same sort of script and take that really positive, you know, acknowledge it make it positive and then sort of say, but this is my life and this is what I'm going to do. And again, mm-hmm. creating those really firm boundaries, but still
1: doing that from a place of, I love you and I respect your opinion as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's tough. it's it can, They can be really tough and uncomfortable,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but I always think about, you know, is it going to be more uncomfortable for me to stay the same versus for me to change?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If I have that conversation, it could open up so many more positive opportunities as opposed to every time I see this person, I have to deal with this angst and tension because I know I'm going to get this speech or hear from them about this. And in that, you know, in that little speech or example that I gave, you can also be more specific about you know, it really bothers me mm. when you mention X, Y, and Z or you tell me this and let them know exactly how what they're doing is impacting you because they may have no idea. Mm. The first 50 times they told you, you smile and you're like, okay. <laughs> when that's not how you really felt. You're like steaming and getting angry inside and you're getting frustrated, but you put on a smile. And so you're sending a wrong message to that person. They're not feeling as if, hey, you're offending or bothering me. It's all right, you know, I'll think about it. Or, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll really consider that when that's not the case.
0: Mm -hmm. 100%. I couldn't agree more. And I've sat through a lot of times where friends have come to me with one story and be like, oh my goodness, this is so frustrating. And then they go and, you know, we're in that social situation and we've talked about it and they just go, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. And it's almost like they've blanked it out and they're not even listening, but their response is, yes, I know. I know I should do that. Yes, I know. Mm -hmm. When they want to do the complete opposite, but to the person they're talking to, all that person's hearing is, I know, I know. So they're like, great, this is helping. This is, I'm I'm helping this person. Person. So they keep saying it again and again. again. <laughs> They're like, maybe they need a reminder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So actually catching yourself and being present in that conversation and steering it in the direction that you want it to go, rather than just saying yes, yes, I know, I know, to hurry the conversation along and you know change the topic, exactly. is so incredibly important.
1: Exactly. Yeah,
0: and as you mentioned, just the levels of discomfort. Like if you're going to have this conversation with this person, what ten times over the next six months, it's going to be uncomfortable every time. So what discomfort? Do do you, want, do you want more discomfort now and deal with it? Or do you want the mini levels of discomfort the next 10 times you see this person? Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And you know, oftentimes people don't look at it from that perspective. Mm. Do I want to deal with this one moment that could be uncomfortable? You don't know if it will be, it mm. could be, but you haven't actually had that discussion and it could turn out really well. But that avoidance kicks in. You're like, oh, it's going to be uncomfortable. So I'm not going to do it. It's going to be horrible. So we like, you know, fortune tell. If I talk to my mom or my dad about this, or if I bring this up to my boss or my partner, they're going to flip out. (laughs) And we're like, you don't know how someone's going to react in the future. Maybe you can think about how they reacted before, but this is a different situation. Mm. And maybe your approach It's going to be different this time. So they can react in a way that could surprise you, but you never do it. So yep, don't know. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And again, that brings me back to just, again, a a simple thing that so many people struggle with. Again, I should stop saying simple because it really isn't, but the emotional eating part of it. Again, you're sitting with that, you're letting go of that discomfort right now, but you're going to continue to feel that discomfort for a long time afterwards because Mm -hmm. you know that you weren't really hungry. You knew that you were avoiding emotions. So again, people look at, they forget about the discomfort that they're going through right now because you want to change. You want to lose weight to help your diabetes, to help your knees, to help your health conditions, whatever it is. but they get caught up in that moment where they forget about that they're already uncomfortable, but they're feeling more uncomfortable by doing this certain behavior. So again, trying to think more of that long-term, isn't it? So it's it's better to sit with more of the discomfort now to almost ease it and make it easier to
1: deal with long-term, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And again, it doesn't mean that once you have that conversation, you know, the sun's going to come out, everything's going to be glorious. (laughs) (laughs) But in that particular situation, You're able to address the situation. You're not carrying that burden of, oh, man, I have to deal with hearing from them again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Other things may come up, but you give yourself the opportunity to practice that skill of speaking up of being clear and of setting your boundaries. And the more you do that, the easier it will become. Definitely. And the less scary it becomes time and time again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> now, I would lastly love to finish with Dr. Alert with your, um, any sort of words of wisdom you have for dealing with um, just difficult situations in difficult times. I know just during COVID, we were discussing how, you know, you're in America, I'm in Australia, even just how different countries around the world have handed it, different restrictions, that sort of thing. Um, you know, a lot of people, they've lost jobs, they've lost income. Um, A lot of people have lost loved ones. Um, So I'd love to end this podcast with just as a sort of a positive thing. So how do we cope with changing times and learn to, I guess, focus on some of the positives and some things that we can control? Because during these times, there are so many things that are completely out of our control. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do we sort of Take back that power almost and focus on things that we can control so that we can continue to find those bits of positivity and gratitude throughout our day.
1: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said focusing on things that we can control. I mean, people have been dealing with a tremendous amount these past couple of months with COVID, you know, losing their loved ones, losing their jobs. And so it's really important to keep things in, to keep things in perspective, mm. to recognize this is what I have control over. And that can be really difficult you know, here in America it's like you can control if you wear a mask, but you can't force the person on the street or mm. walking into the store to wear a mask, you know, depending on the state that you're in. And that can lead to a lot of frustration.
2: Mm.
1: It can lead to a lot of anxiety. And so I really encourage people to ask themselves if they're struggling with, you know, what do I have control over? Is is there anything I can do to change the situation? Mm. Another thing, too, is that with COVID-19, it's led to a lot of people feeling more anxious and worrying a lot, worrying about if they're going to get COVID, how they're going to be able to cope, what's going to happen to their family, what's going to happen to their job. And worrying is a normal response to circumstances that we don't really know what the end result is going to be. The problem is that when we worry too much and it becomes excessive, it keeps us from problem solving. So I can either worry about what's going on in the here and now and think about how do I take action against it? Or I can think about the million hypothetical situations and come up with solutions for those hypothetical situations, which are just going to increase my anxiety anyway. And so again, just staying focused on what you can control. And to leave you with a quote, (laughs) um, Desmond Tutu, he has a quote that says. Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. And especially given these times, it's okay to acknowledge the things that are hard, that you're having a rough time, but to also take a step back and recognize that there are a number of things that you can be grateful for. Mm -hmm. And I think having that perspective and that attitude of gratefulness tends to take people a long way when dealing with difficult situations and challenges that we are facing now.
2: I
0: love that. And I couldn't agree more. And I've really made it my mission to um, just be grateful every morning and every night. I sort of, I'm trying to, that's the first thing that I do when I wake up, even though I wake up and I'm like, oh, I haven't had enough sleep. I'm so tired. You know, I've got a moving thing to do today. It's like, what am I grateful for right now? I'm so grateful that I woke up with a roof over my head, or I'm so grateful that I have a job despite, you know, having to do a million things. I'm so grateful for that. And then again, trying to finish my night, um, again, practicing that gratitude as well, because it's just such a powerful way to reframe your mindset, isn't it? We can Mm -hmm. often get caught up in, um, just sadness or stress and anxiety, but when we're grateful, it just, it just seems to lift that, um, I don't know, heavy burden that tends to come over us day to day, sometimes particularly during these really tough times. So I love that we finished on a a beautiful, positive note. And Dr. (laughs) Alert, I'd love for you to tell our listeners um, where they can find you. Can they reach out to you? Do you offer
1: um, online consults? What are your social media channels? Yeah, so I'm working on building a website. So soon to come, but I am on social media and you can find me on Instagram at drdr.org. M-A-L-E-R-T, so dr.malert, which is for Marissa Alert. Wonderful. (laughs) Um, And then at my email address, marissa.alert at gmail.com so if you can find me on instagram and you shoot me an email from there you should be able to get in touch with me i'm happy to answer any questions or connect you with resources as well wonderful
0: you've been you've been absolutely wonderful and you've answered so many um tough burning questions that i've had for you and you've answered just them so brilliantly as well and with such practical advice so i am really just so grateful for you to come on this podcast and start my beautiful monday morning with an expert such as yourself so thank you so much dr alert it's been an absolute pleasure Thank you so much. This has
2: been a really
1: great conversation too. And I really appreciate being here.
0: I hope to have you back on the podcast um, someday very soon as well. Yeah. Let me know when.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Alert. And listeners,
0: we
2: will catch you in the next podcast.